Alexander Wales. And this is episode 37, Power Dynamics. Okay, so do you want to start us off with how do you define power? Yeah, how we're going to be defining power for the purposes of creating fiction, yeah. right? Because power, I guess what I, what I would boil it down to is basically most fiction revolves around a conflict of some sort, and in the broadest term, power is the protagonist's ability to resolve the conflict right right what what they can bring to bear so um if you have a novel about cars doing a like cannonball run across the desert power would be how fast the cars are like how many horsepower or whatever it could right? also just be their their driver skill yeah yeah it a could combination be that too. of the two and we will talk later about asymmetric power mm-hmm. right how how you can you can alter you can be powerful in different ways right you could be like a really great driver in a really crappy car yeah or whatever some of the common like stereotypes of that particular genre would be something like um oh there's this new hotshot driver that just has the latest model and like all these crazy modifications to their car that makes them super fast but the the skill of the main character uh can overcome the technological deficit in their car yeah, that's the uh, Harry Potter Draco Malfoy seeker mm. dynamic in, right, right. in Quidditch. So if if we're in a novel about like cyberpunk samurai, it could be skill with a sword. Um, it could be like raw power brought to bear with each strike. It could be chess skill. If, mm-hmm. if we're in the novel about chess, you shouldn't use chess as a proxy for intelligence, but it can be about intelligence too, right? If it's being used as a proxy for some broader power struggle yeah. like having two generals uh, on opposing sides of a war that play a uh, play a game of chess just to demonstrate like one of them likes a defensive tactic and the other one likes more going for the throat something like that it can be yeah comparable uh, but in- mm-hmm. intelligence itself can be the power right. that we're talking about right if it's a contest that's going to be decided by intellect and one character is known to be smarter than the other that person has more power yeah. right uh, and lastly in in romance we could just mean that someone you know has more money or is better looking or has more skills or, or whatever whatever metrics are being used. And again in that situation the main character would probably be have the best like heart or something to out- right. outcompete the competition. A lot of a lot of different ways you can set that up, but usually usually you will see <laughs> a heroine from humble origins. Right. Usually you don't have the protagonist just being winner by wealth um, in a right. in a romance story. Yeah, and well, this is one of the things that we need to talk about, because usually yeah. you don't see the protagonist being the winner by default. Yeah. Right? I mean, your story, there are reasons for that, but your story is generally not going to be a good one if people just get the outline of your central conflict, and they're, they're like, well, okay, protagonist is going to win, <laughs> and then the protagonist does win. That that usually is not a good story unless he takes, you know, right. some twists and turns. The power differential between the main character and the antagonist is important, but... There's a different aspect, which is the power differential between the main character and baseline people. Yeah. Right? So, generally speaking, there are a couple different reasons why people might 
enjoy reading about a protagonist. One of them might be because the protagonist is like fulfilling a power fantasy in some way and they are very smart or very athletic or very clever or something like that and they enjoy reading about the the exploits of this person with these with these various different powers if that's extended into speculative fiction then obviously powers in the more magical sense can be fun to read about and another reason why people might enjoy reading about protagonists is because they are the everyman and they're very close to the baseline so it's easier to put themselves into that person's shoes and the combination of these two is taking someone from our world, everyday life, the muggle, if you will, having them discover that they have magic powers, so they become something special and unique, and now they're suddenly differentiated from the, the masses in a, in a very exciting way. And then this person eventually finds out that there are other people in this new magical world that are as powerful compared to them as they are to the average person, if not more so. And this is something I noticed fairly early in reading stories, which is just common between, like, everything from Harry Potter to, like, vampire stories all have this in common, this, like, period of the story where the, the main character becomes a vampire and is just like, oh my god, being a vampire is great, I can do all these amazing things. And then usually there'll come a point where it's like, oh my god, being a vampire is terrible, there are these super strong other vampires that can kill me. And then, like, balancing that out, if there's, if it's a story about them gaining in power, obviously, that's a... An interesting way to take the plot, but balancing those two tensions makes for an exciting story for a lot of people. Yeah, there's also, if you, th there's a second function served there, which is that if you start someone powerless and then you give them powers, you give a lot of opportunity for exposition mm -hmm. in a very natural way that you don't need to work that hard at. Because, you know, that's why origin stories for superhero movies are so common, right. because you want to explain the powers that they have. In, uh, and in, it's it's fun to have that exploration, but you also get the exposition with it, and it works really well to like introduce a character. Yeah. Have you seen um, Spider-Man: Homecoming? I did, and they skipped. Yeah. They they skipped most of it. Yeah. They they skipped the uh, origin story, which is good. But what they did have instead was the learning how your suit works montage, which was a great yeah. character building kind of thing. Yeah. I really enjoyed it, by the way. Yeah, I liked it too. We won't do we won't do a. A review on it, but right, right. <laughs> <laughs> both of us enjoying the movie doesn't probably make for a great review. <laughs> yeah, but so so yeah, there there are a lot of reasons that you want to have your protagonist be better in some way than the average person. I think that it's common to start a protagonist worse off in ways that are changeable. Like protagonists will often start off poor. Yeah, right, because that's easy to turn around. They won't usually start off being dumb because you can't you can't turn that around very easily i mean dumb is kind of right right dumber than average um i, d I don't think you see that very often i'm trying to think of of counter examples there are a few but there's an interesting difference between rational fiction also and, and non-rational fiction in this sense where the demonstration of power for the main character usually has something to do with their intelligence in a way that you can demonstrate to the reader so that they can hopefully pick up on some of it if it's a rationalist story and that makes it so that your whatever whatever powers they might have in the magical sense or technological sense or whatever, the power growth comes from learning and application of reason and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Which is in that in such a circumstance, like it's okay to have them not know a lot starting out, but being smart enough to figure that stuff out as they go, so that you can have people who are more powerful than them from uh, due to knowledge rather than applied intelligence. Although, ideally, you'd want antagonists to also be able to use implied intelligence, applied intelligence well, too. Cause, yeah. yeah, and it kind of depends on, you know, what the antagonist has going for them. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, and it, we're, we're talking about most of this episode, we'll be talking about power in the sense of a protagonist against an antagonist. You can also mean it in the sense of a protagonist against their society or a protagonist against nature. Right. Bring right? up uh, the Martian again, the idea of like the the antagonist's power is kind of like absolute and, and stationary. It just is a, a harsh environment that he has to survive in and his power grows as he applies his intelligence to different problems in unique ways to build up a safe haven for himself yeah and that's actually one of the things that i I find interesting in if you look at how a protagonist's power develops over the course of say a novel or a movie it's usually rising almost the entire time right it starts at Mm -hmm. at a, a low point usually i would say slightly below average it kind of depends and then quickly rises because you usually get the like you know discovering who they are and stuff right and then once you get towards your climax there's usually a dip down sometimes towards abject powerlessness or being in a worse condition at at the beginning and then there's a turn back up right yeah and this is where different kinds of power come into play also so you have the uh, you might be more powerful than ever later on in the story, but all your friends have abandoned you because you did something really stupid or, or really terrible, and it's kind of a, like recognizing that you need more than just your own power, or whatever the moral of the story might be, can be explored in different ways there. Yeah. Sometimes in a sort of ham-fisted way, mm-hmm. right? Like, you lose all your power, and then you get your power back because you of your unique quality as a hero that the reader is supposed to see as good right. or to emulate that's very very common that that fall from power for a brief period in the second act mm-hmm. the great um the thing that happens happened a few in a few different settings that i kind of enjoy is the idea of like the person who relies on or has a, a powerful suit of some kind or like a powerful artifact or something like that that uh, loses that artifact or loses access to the suit or the suit gets damaged or something and they have to make the choice to basically try to save the day without it um this happened in like batman beyond i think a couple times and it happened uh like iron man had to do it in like iron man 3 uh he was basically you know just like what is tony stark without his iron man suit what is he capable of um can, yeah. he, can he still be a hero and that's an interesting way of demonstrating power in different ways leads to character growth too in the in the sense of like once he gets his suit back like he's he's just a, a stronger person in in ways unrelated to his suit yeah in the uh, story structure format of it, that's the hero goes in their, their sort of circular thing, and they go down to the underworld, and then at some point they die and then are resurrected, mm-hmm. right? That That's usually the point. The metaphorical or literal death is associated with that, that loss of power, and the resurrection is regaining it. Yeah. it's that's That one's a little hard to talk about without going too much into spoilers, because that's like usually the dramatic turn and after that turn back towards power victory is basically assured right Right. sometimes this happens at the in sequels this usually happens at the beginning of a story someone so you've got the character who's very powerful from from the last story uh in video game parlance like you've already leveled up and got all these tools and, and abilities and all these things and at the beginning of the next story or game for whatever reason you either lose access to them or you encounter a problem in which a completely different dimension of power is needed and so this is a way of, of demonstrating that the character can grow in new ways. And it's exciting a lot of the times if done well. Uh, it can be frustrating if it's just rehashing the same power, power dynamic. It's like, oh no, he has to relearn everything that he just learned that was the first movie or first game. That's not great. Yeah. So finding new ways to have that 
manifest is important in longer stories, stories with series, uh, a series of different chapters and, and, and books in them. Is That's one of the, I think, one of the major things that people struggle with. This is also where power creep comes in for series like anime, especially. Dragon Ball Z is infamous for this. Once things got to the Frieza saga, it just fucking... Just way, way, way... Like, it went... Like, we started at, you know, powerful enough to blow up cities, got to powerful enough to blow up planets, and then from there there was really just nowhere else for it to realistically go to ma- while still maintaining a story about people who were trying to win by punching each other. And so it just kind of fell apart in that sense. Yeah. And learning to pace yourself... I mean, it's something that the, the creator admitted, you know, was was not the best way to handle that, but learning how to pace yourself as a writer when you're planning out a story like this and paying attention to what what the growth curve of power for your character is going to be and if you're going to write multiple stories, you know, which what different ways you can expand their power and is kind of a useful thing to think about. Yeah, I don't generally tend to like people having their power reset at the beginning of a story. It is sometimes a useful narrative device if you want to give a taste of what's to come you want to do like the action prologue and then they you know have a fall from grace or whatever and then your story proper begins with them having lost everything mm-hmm. right and they're then they're trying to scramble it to get it back or whatever um that can work for me doing a reset on character power because you want that sort of traditional escalation of power as the novel goes on because people find that satisfying and that's you know power is usually a proxy for character growth especially if you're like doing a more traditional novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, you know, the, the training montage is about that character growing as a person as well as growing in their skills, right? right? They're learning patience and perseverance and all these other good attributes. Especially, again, in rationalist fiction. This is, this is the, the idea should be that your character is getting stronger because they are getting better at these various skills that are kind of generalizable, right? Like, if, if patience is useful for someone with superpowers, um, it's also useful for someone with a 9-to-5 job trying to plan for their future. I mean, a lot of a lot of the skills that characters learn to, to acquire to overcome the challenges in their, in their stories can vary from, from genre to genre. But the rationalist character is, is usually focusing on uh, mental or personality traits that they're trying to improve to apply them in some way to the the problems that they're having yeah and and this is one of the, one of the things that i would say defines the difference between rationalist fiction and like hollywood is that you do have hollywood movies and you know mass market paperback novels where people have a training montage and they become more you know their, their character flaws are are curbed mm-hmm. in whatever way right uh like karate kid mm-hmm he does he does his training every day, wax on, wax off, whatever. And at the end of it, he has grown as a person. But you don't actually grow as a person. You don't learn anything from that. Mm-hmm. He just becomes more. He becomes less of less reckless. I think was his like main character flaw. Just just through this sort of magical montage that you see, and it's sort of faking its way through that character growth. Right. Alternatively, you'll have a scene where so there'll be a lot of Hollywood movies where, um, or, or or normal books where, uh, characters on a team have to learn to work together as a team, right? And it's usually like some big blowout happens, or there's some arguments, and they rally around some inspiring speech or some recognition of the values they share or the importance of of understanding each other on a on a personal level, whatever it is. Uh, and it's usually okay to do that. Like it, it usually serves its function. And it, it works pretty well. But it's very different from 
for example, Rational Animorphs, uh, Animorphs the Reckoning, where you see the characters learning the process of what being a good leader and teammate looks like. And yeah. like on, a, on an individual level for each different character's personality even. Like taking what they bring to the table and apply, like assimilating it into the group's dynamic and all that sort of thing. Like, which is very different for from this which is very different from the traditional kind of like everyone's more or less treated the same and the less the, they all learn to work together more or less at the same pace maybe there'll be like a Raphael kind of character who's off on his own more than the others but uh yeah yeah well hollywood movies have like 2 hours right <laughs> yes. and they have to have a plot in there too and introduce all these characters so it doesn't surprise me that it's usually just, you know, they screw up once and then they get together and they're like, hey, we got to be a team. Well, mm-hmm. you haven't identified the root of your problems, right? Right. You you haven't, like, learned anything by just saying we need to work better together. That's not a diagnosis of the deficiencies in your command structure yeah. or anything. <laughs> so mim- mimicking, mimicking that in, in fictional stories is something I see happen o- occasionally, too. And usually it bothers me when it does uh, unless it's something that I know is like just being handled for now, and then later is going to be uh, ex- expanded on more. Again, it's, if it's a book series, you've got more time to do that sort of thing, or a serial, a serial fiction. Yeah. I actually was writing something the other night, and I was writing a version of that where someone says, yeah, I'm going to like get all my, you know, I've identified that these things aren't working, and I'm going to make them work. And then, because they didn't identify the underlying problem, that doesn't actually solve anything right right that's uh i wouldn't suggest actually doing that because dramatically it doesn't work very well to to have someone you know have this moment of inspiration of like fake inspiration where they think they've had this breakthrough and it's not actually a breakthrough and they get their their butt kicked again Mm -hmm. so that can be a learning moment though yeah it it can be a learning moment but then you have learning moment twice right i've been thinking about how you how you do that though you know how, how you both circumvent that tendency to just be like, all right, this was a problem and I solved it just by seeing it, um, which I don't think is, I don't think that's true to how people learn and grow. Mm-hmm. I, that's, a, that's a part of it, identifying that there is a problem, but then finding the root of it and taking corrective action is a lot more difficult than fiction usually gives it credit for. It gives it credit for and has time for. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's this, Usually people in, in fictional situations are pressed not just for time, but by, by necessity. When you're living through a zombie apocalypse or uh, are trying to save the galaxy from some aliens, or whatever it is, you kind of have to get your shit together on a much faster scale than when you're living life day to day and you have the distractions of jobs and family stuff to deal with and all that sort of thing. And as much as I, I would like to say, you know, well, as often as I'd like to think, you know, okay, so... If you can just demonstrate the character in some respect, either going to therapy or talking to someone about what what they're going through and finding a new perspective and then applying it uh, to their problem and maybe like trying some some trial and error basically, like doing some trial and error to figure out something that works. You're not always capable of doing that in a in a story about high stakes, a story of high stakes. Yeah, and you don't always want to do that, right? right? Like if if you uh, like political sex scandals. Mm-hmm. You, you will see one happen, and then it'll happen. He'll he'll like come forward in contrition and be like, "Oh, I hurt my family, and you know I shouldn't have done that and stuff." And then it happens again, like six months, a year later. Yeah. And it's the same thing. That doesn't 
it's hard to tell a story that's not tragedy yeah about like people failing to like seeing and then failing to address their issues if anthony weiner was a fictional character i would just be i would be disgusted with the book right like it's like you just at a certain point you're like what what are you going back to the idea of power a hero that does not advance in some way quickly becomes stagnant and annoying for me i don't know if it's yeah. the case for mass audiences I, I think it is because you don't ever see that in stories, uh-huh. right? So there must be a reason that authors don't do that. And I think it's because audiences don't like it and authors don't tend to like it. Mm-hmm. I think there is a story that you can make out of that, but it's not a very traditional one. And it's more about, you know, a protagonist who sows the seeds of their own failure. Yeah, this is a fatal flaw kind of story, right? A character who's, yeah. whose power in every area is undermined by their inability to advance or to learn something in a single area. So this is another way that power dynamics can be really kind of interestingly balanced against each other. You know, this is the idea of, as you've written about, Superman is is infinitely strong and fast and, and not infinitely, but, you know, incredibly strong and fast for all intents and purposes, un, unbeatable in these areas, but can't be everywhere at once. He can't solve all these social problems that humanity faces by himself. And so... Learning to deal with that and having seeing your character lacking in that power can be a compelling thing, especially if this is a power that the audience can relate to more. It kind of shows a human failing, a human failing that's that's shared amongst everyone from politicians to kings to people in in the in the on the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder. This kind of idea that we're all human and we all have these same failure modes that we that we might be prone to can be a very compelling thing to to show for a character no matter how powerful they are yeah i think it takes a deft hand to to actually do that in a way that people find pleasing mm-hmm. especially if they think it's going to be a different kind of story if people think that it's going to be a heroic story and then you throw them a tragedy where the hero fails they they will not tend to like that yeah the like i've said before i think it works well if the if there's a note of hope that's on the end of it, if the hero fails or dies, but others are inspired by them or, or te- taught by them to carry on their work or something like that, it's a teachable moment. It's not it's not just like nihilistic. It's just a it's a tragedy of life. You know, it's just something that happens, and people go on working day to day knowing that that's a, a risk that they take or something that might happen. Yeah. So when we're talking about power, that the character that we're mapping the character out with. You know, we write rational fiction, generally speaking. We sometimes write rationalist fiction specifically to explore ways that characters can gain their power. Satisfying ways to demonstrate power differentials usually have to do with, for us, outthinking the opponent, learning new ways to think, learning new ways to apply what we think or ideas that we have. But there are different ways also of applying this power differential in terms of leveraging a power differential between different axes so like if you can't beat someone by out punching them you surprise them with you know turning the people against them or something like that right yeah that's the kind of power dynamic that i think is interesting in the sense of showing that different people have different strengths it's so that you don't always just have the dragon ball z issue of how hard can you punch and you need to learn to punch harder than the enemy yeah so what are some of the ways that you've kind of enjoyed stories like that or done that in your stories so I think that having everyone have their own niche is sort of, it's not that true to life, I guess. Like when I think about like uh, warfare, right? It's usually not, you know, there there are like four or five roles, but there are people who just flatly outclass other people. And 
there are people who are all playing basically the same game with the same set of skills, like in in Olympic com- competitions, right? You know, there's just one best style of of running. Basically, you don't you don't you don't see the hundred meter dash people using different techniques. Yeah. For the most part, and they don't they don't come to that competition trying to outwit their opponents necessarily. They're all doing very close to the same thing there. However, I find that extremely boring to read about. Yeah, I was going to say this is probably a reason why there are very few stories that are about this centrally. Usually if you'll have a story like that, like a, a boxing story like Rocky or something, it's it, it goes more about grit and determination and, and overcoming personal obstacles and all that sort of thing. Or team teamwork stories about uh, overcoming segregation and, and things like that. Yeah. And th- those are the stories that tend to, I want to say, make for more compelling stories that are about power on one axis. Yeah. Yeah. I actually think that usually if in sports stories or, you know, things like that, the central conflict is usually the character's internal conflict. Mm-hmm. It's their like relationship with their father or their self-doubt or something like that. And then the you know the ostensibly main conflict is just sort of a proxy for that. Right. Right. So you get to the second act and they're like, oh god, I'm gonna lose, and they confront their father or their metaphorical father or whatever, mm-hmm. and they work that out, and then that's how they win in the end it's not about whether they win or lose at the game yeah yeah i mean they usually win because you know that's that sort of that sort of puts a bow on it for the audience and says yes Mm -hmm. the issues with his father were resolved but again there are some notable exceptions where as long as it dovetails into this note of hope like with um cool runnings is probably one of the few that i I really will will remember off the top of my head but i'm sure there are others but you're right they are they are rare um than the ones where they end up winning at the end anyway yeah, well, Rocky, Rocky oh, yeah. too. Yeah, or not? Sorry, Rocky also, because he 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 lost at spoilers for for Rocky, uh, <laughs> but he lost at the end of Rocky one, and and it was still about you know he has accomplished yeah, right. this thing, and it's triumphant, and he has grown his person and stuff. Humble beginnings again, going back to the idea right of people people who come from very low areas socioeconomically or whatever it is, demonstrating their worth to the world is often enough, even if they don't end up winning, taking the gold, rather, right? Yeah. Yeah. But if you're not doing that kind of story where it's not entirely, it's it's not like internal conflict as a proxy for mm. this external conflict, which is what it is, I, I want to say like 80% of the time, right? Mm-hmm. If you're not doing that, then it's really boring to have someone have this story where they go to the Olympics and... It's just them against a bunch of other people who have their own story, and it's just like, why why am I rooting for this person in particular? Mm-hmm. And if their, you know, if their win is just, oh well, they were a faster runner. Right. That's not that's not compelling to me. I don't know that it's compelling to most people. I'd assume not, because mm-hmm. again, you don't see it in. I would think that you would find it in in movies and novels, and television shows more often if people found that aspect of it compelling. I, uh, one exception I would say there is like shonen anime and manga. So mm-hmm. this might be a, a Western cultural thing, but a lot of shonen, it's just the main character is really powerful, right? And then that's, and then they just uh-huh. keep winning. That legitimately happens. Yeah. And then the whole thing is just, is just, I think more in the power fantasy camp. Right. Uh, Dragon Ball Z again, did this really poorly. 
Hunter 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 X Hunter. It's, it's apparently it's pronounced Hunter Hunter, even though there's an X in the middle. But whatever. Hunter Hunter is a. I'm gonna call it Hunter X Hunter just because anyone listening doesn't know that and they try looking for it is gonna have trouble. So you know what? It's Hunter X Hunter. Hunter X Hunter uh, did this really well in the sense that the characters are kids. They are very strong for kids. They were enormously powerful compared to the average person, especially once they learn the um, Nen, which is the, the you know the magic of the world. Um, but again, there are these people who are like so much above them that the power that they have it's not insignificant, but it doesn't. It doesn't. It's not how they win, and showing that there are just other conflicts that they can help with, that doesn't involve that don't involve them going head to head with these immensely powerful adversaries that they have no chance against winning, but they can still like be part of the story and help out and uh, accomplish things along the way is part of what subverts the 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 shonen uh, genre so well. You know, they lose they lose fights. It's it's hard to predict when they're gonna lose fights or how they're gonna lose fights because there's such uh, there's so many niches and and special powers that everyone has, which is great. But also just in general, you just learn to accept that these characters are just not as strong as the as the main adversary. So you know that the victory, if it comes, will not be as a simple or predictable thing. Yeah. But other 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 stories use power different ways like this also. So you've got. Um, Roni Kenshin, I believe it was called, is a story about a samurai who was the best swordsman uh, during the last major war. He just cut like a bloody path through the opposition and just did um, uh, amazing things and led to the more or less stable world that they live in now. And then he kind of gave up the sword. And he still he still carries his sword, uh, but he no longer kills people with it. He's, it's a blunted blade. He just uses the um, the flat of it to hurt people if he needs to, to protect someone, but not to kill, ever. Uh, and he's just so immensely skilled that he's able to pull this off, kind of like a bat in a Batman sense of just like a normal person trying to do this would fail utterly. But the the conceit of the show is that he's so good at it that he can put himself at risk to not go for the kill and not finish people off uh, and still try to save people and hold his own. So the the conflict of the story, the power of progression is not going to be he gets he becomes a better swordsman, right? And the adversaries that he faces. Yeah, they can be stronger physically, and so that pushes him more and more to his limits in terms of whether or not he's going to just end up having to go through lethal lethal action or permanent maiming or whatever it is. Which is a question that's I don't think is ever addressed why he doesn't just like cut their hands off or something. But you know, similarly immoral, I guess. Some of these people are really evil though. So anyway, so the idea of like using different different character arcs, different progressions of power to overcome the challenges and obstacles in the story is really I mean, I would say it's kind of vital to the character arc in general, but also important to the story arc itself. If you're if you're if you're trying to decide how your story is going to progress, yeah, it's one of those things where there are different because there are these these different ways of of progressing power. You really need to know what your central conflict is, whether it's like a moral, ethical conflict or a philosophical conflict or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can have you know, giant robots and flaming lasers and stuff around that, in which case the, the, the like raw power of that axis becomes less important. important. Right. And you can kind of get away with more in terms of that. Right. Same actually goes if you do comedy in comedy. It doesn't, none of these rules really apply because subverting them is part of the, part of the fun. Right. So yeah, I think there are a lot of ways to do power badly. I guess if we're talking about, Power, it's almost always power in relation to the central conflict, which is 
in relation to usually an adversary. And if you have your protagonist be weaker than the adversary, they either need to they need to just be weaker on one axis, right? Or you need some way to make up for that, mm-hmm. I guess. Like if if the, if the protagonist is just flatly less powerful than the antagonist. I think that's where you run into crappy things like the power of love is, yeah. is what like turns the day. Deus Ex Machina, blind luck type things. I don't find those... I, I sometimes find those satisfying. It depends on how cool it is, I guess. <laughs> yeah, rule of cool obviously is going to apply for, for any conversation about power dynamics, right? People continue to watch and enjoy Dragon Ball Z far past the point when the power differentials mean anything or even make any kind of sense. I've seen like a few episodes of Dragon Ball Super and it's just... It's it basically just throws all the rules out the window. What little rules were left are thrown out the window to to continue to create somewhat compelling narratives, I guess. But if you're gonna also, like you said, there's there's a lot of failure modes, and there's certain things that you can watch out for that make failure modes more likely. If you also have a character whose power is in unsympathetic areas, so we mentioned being super rich, right? No one wants to read a story about a main character who is super rich and solves all his problems by being super rich, unless there is a problem they cannot solve by throwing money at it. Yeah. And so the issue of, like, come up with the power, come up with the, with the weakness, it can work out okay if you, if you start that way and you just kind of go either one for one or two for one or whatever it is, kind of trying to balance out what they're good at and what they're bad at and what their issues are. But you want a consistent character too, right? You want a character that kind of has an identity. And so finding character traits that naturally come with negatives is what makes so many compelling characters compelling. So Sherlock Holmes is uh, often depicted, especially more in, in more modern depictions, as excessively arrogant and unpersonable. And these are just kind of tropes of the super intelligent uh, character that you know a lot of people accept and, and enjoy. Happens in uh, characters like House and stuff like that too. And so it, it's a kind of a natural pairing. But if you can find unnatural pairings that are still compelling, those can be really interesting too. There's an idea of a character who's very powerful in getting people to work together, but on their own they can't do much. This is a very uncommon thing to see, because usually you want your character to be in, your protagonist to be in the thick of things and able to like able able to solve their problems through personal grit or merit or whatever it is. But yeah. a facilitator kind of protagonist is. Done well in a couple really rare instances. The ones I can think of were... They're usually like side characters or secondary characters. They'll have like an episode or two where they save the day through their unique power, right? Yeah, yeah. there are, there are a lot of side characters who sort of get... They have their own power, but they sort of get the shaft on being protagonists. Uh, healers, you know, like trained medics. Usually information types. Information gatherers, yeah. Yeah, the, the person on... Like sitting at the desk, like typing away at the computer, they don't get. Right. They're they're never protagonists. They never have their own. Well, they sometimes have their own central conflict, but it's you know, sort of off to the side, and they're almost never a protagonist. If you have a protagonist who is actiony, actiony, yeah, yeah, which is kind of weird because like you have, I mean, I there are occasionally like um novels about the like information type but there's never the action person around then it's all just about information and the flow of it and action doesn't really enter into it that much so there are ways to get around this in in some ways so action as defined by for example being very good at directing soldiers 
Ender's Game obviously spends a lot of its story with the, the main character essentially being able to... Uh, essentially learning and demonstrating their, their aptitude for war through personal combat. But the 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 ultimate thing that he's training for, the ultimate conflict that he's that he's striving toward, is one where he is not going to be fighting. He's going to be in a chair directing others. In fact, he's not even directing the soldiers themselves. He's directing sub-lieutenants and generals who will then direct their soldiers, right? Yeah. So he's he's still doing the planning and the thinking and, the and in some senses, the, the data synthesis, but he himself is not going to be the action guy anymore. And... This is the thing, like, with sequels that, that I enjoyed, is that Ender's, Ender's character, Andrew, uh, in the future books, he grows in ways beyond his his original starting position of just, like, he needs to demonstrate that he's amazing at warfare. Because he doesn't want to only be amazing at warfare. He wants to be able to cause peace and, and help people get along and all that sort of thing. So when you have a character like the data gatherer in the superhero story, uh, the person in the chair, and you ha- and you see an, if you see an opportunity to increase their power in other ways... You know, probably you should go for it and see where it takes you. If you can, if you can plot out a good a good story for that, because it doesn't necessarily stop them from being the person in the chair. It just gives them another avenue of potential character growth and and you know makes them a, a more interesting character. Yeah, like protagonist against antagonist. The reason that power dynamics are usually a concern when when we define power as being the protagonist's ability to solve the conflict, right? Mm. It, when we're talking about that, you usually want that ability to be low, especially at the start. But even even going into the climax, you still need it to be low to keep tension high. Right. Basically, up until the climax has happened, you want it to be in doubt whether the protagonist can win, mm-hmm. right? So that's one thing that you have to sort of keep an eye on especially in more adversarial stories where there's a where there's an antagonist you have to you have to pay a lot of attention to how powerful you're making the main character seem right yeah and in that in that vein there's this idea of you want your main character to be identified as the main character for certain reasons right so it's like why are we reading about this person in specific oh because they're hopefully not the chosen one because those stories might irritate me but there's a reason why this character is notable for being capable of changing the world or changing the status quo in some way. Whether it's a personal thing, like they just have that much more grit and determination than anyone else, uh, which is unlikely uh, in a realistic world, but, you know, maybe that's just something that in their particular area that they're competing in uh, is important. Or it's it's something about themselves that's unique in terms of their powers or their abilities or whatever it is. And if that's a story that you're doing, you can... Even if you, if the opponent becomes is, remains incredibly powerful, you can add too many things in that respect where it starts to become this character is now like they they almost lose their ability to be identified with as someone that you could become. Yeah. Uh, insofar as that insofar as that's a a thing that people like to read stories about, right? Self insert. Right, right. There's there's a self insert um, fantasy and then there's the power fantasy and both of those kind of blend together a lot of the times. But you've got a character that. If they are just so much more lucky in in the kind of the the, the hand that, that fate has given them in life, that's not great. You want their power past a certain point, right? It's okay for them to have a few things that make them unique. But past a certain point, you want to stop adding lucky things that they have, and you want to just keep the power growth to things that they can attain understandably and naturally that other people could potentially attain to. Yeah. And so part of what you want to pay attention to is how much of that power comes from struggle, right? right? It is okay to give 
Luke Saber, it's, <laughs> it's okay to give Luke Skywalker a Death Star if you spend a whole lot of time on him, you know, struggling and fighting for it. Right. Because then that's, you know, you're, that's him solving the conflict in a different, in a different way. Right. And then in the sequel, the, the opponent has two Death Stars or whatever it is. Yeah, you kind of want to, you kind of <laughs> want to not do that because of the, you know, the difficulty in identifying with yeah. the protagonist or the antagonist. You, power creep is, I think, mostly a problem because you lose that grounding, mm-hmm. right? It's not hard to, you know, one-up an already powerful hero. It, it's not hard to, like, go past them and have someone stronger and better. Right. I mean, this, this is this is why I hated Force Awakens so much, because it was just, homages aside, it was just, it's a bigger, better Death Star, and that's boring. Even even without them having the Death Star themselves, and it's like, oh, look how strong this thing is, and they have nothing comparable. Like it's like it's, it's still it's still a boring way for power to increase on the on the yeah. opposition side. Yeah. Well, it's a boring way for power to increase, and, and eventually, if your power gets so high, you're not dealing with people anymore. Right. You know, that, that's not the case in terms of like a Death Star. That that has that has different issues. But if you have someone like Superman, I would argue that Superman is a will tend to be a boring character. Mm-hmm. Power fantasy is all he has going for him. You get to a certain point and people are just like, okay, I'm going to have to suspend so much disbelief that you are like a normal person. Right. Like mentally in any way. This is kind of also where the powers, the powers the character have are, can be less important than the goals that they have. Yeah. Right. So, it, you know, this is going back to the idea of what Superman is trying to accomplish versus what he's capable of. And if you've got a character who you're starting to worry is becoming too much like a god, like, show the consequences of that and have them trying to be a man again, you know, trying to be mortal again in, in some respect and, and unable to do so and learning to do so, how, to, how to do so. Again, this is a thing that will probably become more of an issue for series. Characters that are just exponentially getting stronger every book, or even not exponentially, just re- repeatedly getting stronger every book. Turning that around at some point in the story and having their goals kind of be in some way to attain what they lost along the way can be an interesting story. I, when I was plotting out Glenn Morton, this was one of the things I was thinking about a lot because I wanted mm-hmm. a progression of power. And, you know, if, if you want a long running series, you have to be really careful about that. And you can do those things where you you change the goals or um, how I would write superman for superman stories you just don't make it about the thing the the places where he's powerful right um it's not about those things so i think you can do that to a limited extent but you risk you know if you spend the first three books where you know characters are getting more powerful with every chapter mm-hmm. right you risk your audience if you go into book four and suddenly it's not about the things that people liked right anymore it's about this other thing that they that they might not like you do you do risk your audience, but at that point, hopefully, they find the character compelling enough to want to stay along with their journey. Yeah. But you're right. There, there are definitely people who've been like turned off by by shifts in in genre or shifts in uh, characters. I, I would like to say that this was because they were done poorly, but I don't I don't necessarily know that's the case. I'm just thinking of a lot of easy think of poor examples where shows that are about one thing just for a season or two become soap operas or whatever, and it's not it's not the most compelling execution let alone the most compelling goal but maybe that's that's more to do with the execution than anything i would say yeah well there's there's selection effects too right like i would expect that if there were some people who made a great action-oriented show that they wouldn't necessarily be good but the show would get famous as an action-oriented show and then it would shift genres and you'd suddenly have these people who are untested 
at working in this other other genre. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not 100 sold on changing the central nature of the conflict midstream. Right. But you you don't necessarily have to. I mean, I think if if it's properly plotted out, you can you can dole your power out in smaller chunks. Right. So that you can get you know obviously that doesn't work indefinitely because. Yeah, this is this is that's why for me this is more of a it's less of a something you should do midstream, more of something you should do in a sequel series or or just at a point when the a major arc has been concluded. Yeah. Yeah. This is just goes back to the idea of, of power in different directions. When your character has advanced to the point in a certain area where they either has nowhere else to grow or just ceases to be interesting to grow in that direction. There's only so many hours they can spend in the gym or whatever it is, right? Or rather there's so many so many ways you can describe them getting stronger in that way that stays interesting that's when you might want to start looking for different directions for their power to grow yeah if that was the previous character arc yeah yeah and you can one of the things that you can do is if it's not about that like raw power Mm -hmm. one of the reasons i like rational fiction and one of the reasons i think that i think they work better for a series is that if it's about problem solving you just present a new problem yes right yeah so i mean you can do if if i were writing a story about you know someone doing martial arts or whatever and it, it would be about them going against you know people of different, with different styles yeah, yeah. and different schools or whatever and you can do that for, you can do like 10 fights in a row right spread out you can do 10 chapters of it without the main character having to get stronger right because all they would be doing is you know figuring out how their opponent fights and then figuring out uh, what ways that they're going to counter that, and then figuring out how their opponents are going to react to that counter. You can do that, you know, you, you can do that without any actual power growth. The, the power growth is only the sort of ascent toward solving the problem. Right. I think a lot of, uh, I was watching Food Wars, I think, is an anime, and the main character is like the best cook ever or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he's at this school for people who are really great cooks, but everyone cooks in a different style, and so his when he wins it's because he's a great chef sure but it's it's always about him sort of solving the problem presented by how the other person cooks right and that means that you don't need to worry about the fact that he's he's got basically nowhere to go as far as cooking ability yeah yeah this is all all this discussion of power dynamics is in service of making a continuously compelling plot if you find ways to make a continuously compelling plot without bringing power into it or the power issue into it then great that's you know you you like you you're fine doing that if you can. Uh, it's only when you're when part of the story is about the power differential or the growth of power or something like that that you've got to start watching out for the failure modes. Yeah. And if you're plotting from the beginning with the idea of of what this person's powers are, how I make compelling stories with that is like you said like that's part of it. Like Sherlock Holmes is not getting smarter generally speaking. Like you know every episode or season he doesn't excel in new at new levels of, of deduction. If what he does can be called deduction, yeah. But um, he he is just faced with newer and more complex issues, and that is part of the issue. I mean, that is part of the what makes it supposedly continuously compelling. Yeah, and the the, the plot progression of the average Sherlock Holmes book is is not about power increase, but it's about moving towards the solution by uncovering pieces of information that lead to other right. pieces of information. That's a totally different plot progression from one that revolves mostly around the need to get stronger the need the need to get stronger the need to get prettier or have more money or, mm-hmm. or whatever your path towards 
winning is. Yeah. Now imagining an anime where the the need to get prettier is the uh, is the power power growth. I I was thinking of like how you would do a power growth for all these romance. different uh-huh, right for all these different like traits and stuff right or yeah different genres yeah well because like if I were writing the most stereotypical romance of all time right I would have an ugly duckling girl who is like really poor mm-hmm. or whatever and the progression would be that she like gets a makeover or whatever at a certain point and she like works hard and gets money and stuff and like proves herself and like takes etiquette lessons right yeah i was gonna Those say if you if you're talk- writing in like a a antiquated society it would be like something like this character demonstrates their like learns all the different skills and demonstrates their aptitude for wifeitude for wifiness right yeah and then just like demonstrates that they're the best person to be the charming prince or or whoever the the, the main anti- main character's uh love interest is they're just the best for them a more potentially enlightened way to do that might be should I use an egalitarian instead of enlightened? I don't know. I'm just gonna say enlightened. A more potentially enlightened way to do that might be something like the main character has their flaws and they just learn how to become a better person. To be the kind of person that the that their love interest wants to be with. Yeah. This is something that's very rare I think to see in romance stories because they usually have to do the whole like there's an antagonist that's like kind of trying to be beaten in this sense, and it doesn't have as much room to for the character to grow. It's more about beating the antagonist or like catching the guy's attention and then potentially losing the guy's attention and just like miscommunications and all these different things. And it's less about just personal growth until until a connection is formed. And you don't really want to make like a love story about oh you need to be better for your person for the person that you love. But that's kind of a thing that a lot of people should think about if they're if they're trying to find a, a relationship. Yeah, I think that's true. That you should, you know, try to be your best self anyway. Right. But it's also a path towards romance. Yeah, I I was thinking a long time ago of writing a story about what does it mean to be yourself um, versus be the best person, best version of yourself you could be. Because the average advice of just be yourself is just terrible advice that you know people yeah. scoff at for good reason. But this implication on the other hand that like that yeah i don't know it's just it's it's i, I don't think i'm ever going to write a story about it but i've been just writing articles and stuff that i might at some point put out about it but yeah it, it's it's a thing that it's a it's a form of power progression that has to all to do with finding ways to be a better person for your own sake that might in the in the end have a positive plus of getting a relationship but if it's a romance story then obviously the goal that drives them in the first place will be to get the guy or get the girl or whatever it is yeah there's this online short that i really like Uh that's it's like how to lose weight in like four easy steps Mm -hmm. but it's like a story yeah but it's basically about that concept of you know i i think it's a very interesting arc to go on where you have a character start out trying to become better for the purposes of Mm -hmm. you know having the girl fall in love with them or whatever you want me to link it in the episode yeah yeah you you start out with trying to better yourself for the wrong reasons and then you become better right. along the way for right. your own self i think that's a really interesting pivot mm-hmm. along the path of, of power progression yeah but I, i'm kind of a sucker for when stories change the central conflict mm-hmm. along the way right changing an external conflict into an internal one and then kind of ditching the external conflict entirely or like changing its goal along the way i guess right the true treasure was friendship all along yeah 
And I like that. I like, right. you know, it's really easy to do wrong. Mm-hmm. But I I do like when the true power was friendship all along. Yeah. <laughs> there's a, there's a, as long as the true power of friendship isn't if, isn't manifested in a beam of power that destroys like an evil monster or something. Yeah. Right? Like there was a conversation we, um, I had some time ago about the potential under consumption of power of friendship stories in, in rational spheres. Like is is this an, is this a, is there a dearth of this because people seem to be expressing concern over like just just not concern but people seem to be expressing that there were not many stories that really focused on these like hufflepuff values of you know friendship and and loyalty and integrity and all these kinds of things uh which is potentially true like i don't know i had to i had to think for a while to to really come up with stories where the power of friendship is shown not just you know d- described or like i said comes out in a magical deus ex machina way but it's actually shown and, and is the essential part of the story for anyone curious it is probably one of the major ones i can think of the story is presumably about an evil clown that eats everyone but it's actually just, you know, a heartwarming tale about a bunch of kids and their discovery of the true meaning of friendship and supporting each other in their struggles with, like, bullies and shitty families and grief and fighting a monstrous clown. Yeah. <laughs> it it kind of makes me want to write those stories, <laughs> right. right? I don't think I've ever written a, a proper romance, though. Mm-hmm. But they, they'd be interesting things to take in in different directions. Yeah. So that's it for Power Dynamics for now. Thanks for listening, and I'll probably make a recommend- book recommendation at the end of this outro music. Uh, it might be The Dresden Files again, because, again, it just handles power progression so well. Anyway, thanks for listening, and tune in next time. As a long series of novels, one of the things that it does great that many other series don't do that well is the power progression. At no point does the protagonist feel like he achieved some unearned leap in power between or during books, and the challenges he faces continue to ramp up with his power along a number of different dimensions, rather than just having to fight stronger and stronger monsters every time. What's more, as someone who enjoys rational fiction, I really appreciate how much Harry learns from his past mistakes and challenges, and how that is shown to be a type of power all on its own. The ability to make better choices than you used to is probably the single most learnable power that we readers will ever share with characters from fiction, and seeing it exemplified by Harry and his friends is something I constantly appreciate. If you're interested in checking the series out, then you can find a link to them in the show notes or listen to the series on Audible by going to audibletrial.com forward slash rational to get a free book credit and help support the show. The audiobooks are read by James Marsters, the actor who played Spike on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and he does a fantastic job. Hope you enjoy it.